come before you today. Lord, will you just reveal to us your desires of how you want the church and this community of Christ to become. Lord, we ask that you will uh, just speak to us today through your word and through the message. Lord, that you open up our hearts, our ears, our eyes to see what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's just been this uh, recent trend in restaurants lately, uh, in, in not only in Vancouver, but also throughout the world, uh, especially North America. This trend that is being, becoming more and more popular within the past couple of years, uh, in not just restaurants, but also in cafes and uh, coffee shops. And this trend is that they are starting to have more and more things called communal tables. I'm not sure if any of you guys have ever been to restaurants with communal tables or anything like that. So basically what these communal tables are, so they're just really big, long tables in restaurants. They kind of replace tiny individual tables where you would normally sit by yourself and your friends or your parties, and that's all you sit with. So they replace these uh, individual tables with a big, long table where everyone would sit together, even if you don't know them. So when I first saw, uh, thought of this, or saw this, I heard about this idea, I was like, whoa, that's really cool. I mean, this is such a great idea. Um, not only... Have they turned a place where you normally just eat food? They've turned it into a place where you build community. So isn't that amazing? I was like, oh, there's lots of things the church can learn from this. And I thought about it a bit more, and then the Chinese side of me kind of kicked in. And I realized that this idea of communal dining, of communal tables, have actually been around with the Chinese people for perhaps thousands of years. Except instead of calling, calling it communal tables, we call it dak toy. Uh, and uh, if, what that means in Chinese literally is that it means uh, kind of stacking tables or sharing a table with other people. I mean, if you ever went to China or Hong Kong, even some of the busier Chinese restaurants here in Vancouver, when you walk in, the servers or the waiter or waitress would, would ask you, um, give you an option. Would you rather wait for a table, perhaps 15, 20 minutes or even longer, or do you want to dap toy, do you want to share a table with strangers, people you don't know? So, I was thinking about this, and for myself, uh, you know, when my wife and myself, we go to eat with my friends, and we were given this option of, of, of sharing a table with strangers, most of the time I would choose to wait for a private table instead. I mean, I mean think about it. I, you know, I want to have a, private, a nice, comfortable private meal without strangers looking at what I'm eating or kind of listening to our conversations. And, and yeah, we just want to have a nice and comfortable dinner by ourselves. And I think what this really shows is that, um, that we actually prefer to live our lives alone. We like to have privacy. We like to have our own comforts. So what this shows about many people is that our habit in today's world is that we tend to live our lives alone. Especially here in North America where the culture is more individualistic. You know, we like to uh, have our own privacy, our own comforts, and we like to keep our distance away from other people and away from each other's affairs. Now, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a, a privacy or caring about ourselves or wanting some a nice meal to ourselves. But the challenge here is that God calls us to live a life that loves and cares for other people and to focus less on ourselves. Unfortunately, the reality is that there are often many barriers, not just social ones, but also personal ones, 
that often prevent us from building this community that cares and loves for each other. So as we look at today's Bible passage, and thank you, Jessica, for reading that, we see a great example of a barrier between two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And this division between the Jews and the Gentiles have existed for many, many years, and mainly because the Jews were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were not. So in verse 11, we see that the Gentiles were called the uncircumcised, and that the Jews were called the circumcision. Now, I'm not really going to go into detail about what circumcision is exactly, and if you don't know what it is, you feel free to ask Pastor Don about it afterwards. Uh, I'm sure he'd be more happy to share with you, or any of us. But what you do need to know is that circumcision, the acts of circumcision, symbolize the covenants that God made between him and his chosen people, the Israelites. Now, both of these terms are actually fairly common Jewish terms. And uh, they would, the, Jewish, the Jews would use this to refer to each of the people groups uh, quite regularly. In fact, when, if you're a Jew and you call the Gentile the uncircumcised, they were actually showing a lack of respect. And they were actually looking down upon them. Unlike the Gentiles, the Jews, as I said, were God's special and chosen people. And as a result, the Jews often felt that they were superior and maybe had a higher status than the Gentiles. So by calling themselves the circumcised, the Jews were actually kind of boasting about their honor and the privilege of belonging to God's covenants, of being part of God's community. Whereas the Gentiles didn't have any of this. So as you can see, the status thing created this big barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, and has been like this for a very long, long time. And that is until Jesus came along. In verse 13, it reminds us that through the blood of Jesus, people who are once far away and distant from God can now be brought near to him. People who are once far away can now be in a relationship with God. So the Gentiles were once a people group who did not have God, nor did they have a special covenant or place with God. The Gentiles were even excluded from having citizenship within Israel. I mean, if you look at the temples back then in Jerusalem, they even had these walls inside where that prevents uh, Gentiles from entering into where the Jews were. So the Jews could enter a bit farther into the temple, but the Gentiles have to have to remain on the, out, the, on the outer side of it, and there's a wall that separates it. In fact, in one of uh, King Herod's uh, temples, uh, there was found an uh, engraving on the wall that says, you know, if you enter this wall, if you're a Gentile and you enter through these walls, enter at your own risk, for it is your life that's, that may be taken. So they'll kill them, even if they are found passing through those walls. Now, imagine for today, if we had this at our church. I mean, imagine if... Uh, if, if there's this law that says um, you, can't ent- you can only enter into the sanctuary here if you're born in the great city of Edmonton. And, um, you know, if you're not born in Edmonton, you're not allowed to walk into the sanctuary. If you're not born in Edmonton, you can only stay in the foyer or in the basement. But you can't walk into the sanctuary just because of where you're from. And in fact, if you're, if you're found walking to sanctuary and you're not born in Edmonton, then, then you'll get arrested and perhaps even killed by one of our church administrators, like Stanley or Cindy, I don't know. But that is the 
division, that has the barrier that has really separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Now, the good news is that all of these barriers back then were torn, were demolished because of Jesus when he came into our world. Because of his sacrifice and what he has done on the cross, anyone is now able to enter into a relationship, into a community with God and his people. So regardless of your race, regardless of where you're born or what you look like or who you are, you're now, you are now able to have a personal relationship with God. See, at the cross, because of Jesus, all barriers are torn down. And we all stand equal in front of God. No one has any higher value than anyone else. As we stand before the cross, we also recognize our own sins and, how, and recognize our own imperfection and how much we really do need God. So church, as we look at our own faith community today, as we examine it, let me ask you one question for you to think about. Is What are some barriers within our own faith community, within this church, within BC, that are hindering and preventing people from coming to know God and to becoming a part of his community? What are some barriers? And as you think about it, maybe for some people it might be the age differences. Some people might find this congregation to be too young or too old. Some people might find, another barrier might be the ethnicity of this church. We're pretty Chinese. I mean, the languages that we speak, that might be another barrier. Or maybe for some others, it might be the location of the building or the time or the style of worship services. Or for some others, it might be because they're looking for the right kind of programming or fellowship or services. You know, the list of reasons and barriers could go on and on and on. I believe that one of the biggest barriers of people, preventing people from becoming part of a church and Christian community is if they have a sense of belonging there or not. It's if they have a sense of belonging. I mean, for all of us, I'm sure we had moments where we felt that we did not belong. I remember in university, I think it was first or second year, I signed up for this human biology course. And then uh, I, was, I had an interest in biology. So then I was like, oh, it's cool to learn more about the human body, and, and I, it would be a fun course. So I signed up for it. And the first day of class, I still remember walking into this lecture hall. It was a pretty big lecture hall. I can fit a couple hundred people. And when I walked into it, I opened the door, and I looked around. The entire class was all girls. So I was shocked. I was like, what? Am I in the right class? So I walked in. I sat around. I sat in. And I felt really awkward. I felt pretty out of place. I mean, I was imagining my head, like, probably all the girls would think, oh, why is this guy, like, in this class? Like, what's the reason there? Um, so I felt really out of place there. And then later I realized that that course was actually a prerequisite for, um, uh, to get into nursing school, which explains a lot. And then, uh, so afterwards I found that there were, there were a couple other guys scattered around the lecture hall, and that, that made me feel a bit less awkward. But the point of this is that we all have this sense of wanting to belong and we don't want to be left out or, or be alone or, or, or stand out. We all just want to have this sense of belonging in community. Now, if we think about deep inside of ourselves, we all have this drive. This drive to want to be identified with someone or something or a group or perhaps even a cause. I mean, some of us 
fulfill the sense of belonging by identifying ourselves with things like sports teams. Some of us like, oh, we're, we're Canuck fans. Or, uh, or with a certain brand of clothing. Or with a charity or a club or a school team. Because by doing so, by identifying ourselves with certain groups or things, we have the sense of belonging and we feel important and we feel wanted. It gives us a sense of accomplishment and a sense that we, of that we matter. Now, for many of you sitting here right now, you might already have a sense of belonging in this church, in this community. You're probably quite well integrated, and you have you felt closer and deeper friends and connections with people here. But I also know that there are probably a number of us here right now who do not have the sense of belonging, that we do not feel that we are part of this faith community. But regardless of where you are in the spectrum, whether you feel really, really connected or not connected at all, there's one thing that for us to realize, and that we do have a place of belonging no matter what. And that's with God and with the rest of the body of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, we will always have God's house where we can call home. So saying this, with this in mind, it's still important for any church community to become a place that demonstrates the love of Christ, and it's able to help connect people with each other and to develop a sense of belonging. Back in Eon Fellowship, uh, which is our uh, youth fellowship for grades 6 and 7, about almost four years ago, uh, we, did this, we had a lock-in, and then we did this activity with Lego pieces. Now, in this activity, the first activity we did um, is that we got each one of them to build one structure together using only one hand with the Lego pieces. So using only one hand, everyone has to work together to build a structure. And then, uh, and then afterwards, I think this is another picture of the finish, uh, one of the finished products that we made, um, the next one. Um, you can probably even recognize some of them there. You can see like Natalie there, Samantha, Theo, Pfizer, Justin, they're all grown up now, kind of. Um, but uh, there, and then later on after this, we even gave each person a piece of Lego. Uh, with their names written on it. I still have mine. It says Johnny right here. And uh, it's a little bit scratched and faded, but that's my name on it. It's a Lego piece. And the reason why we gave each of the youth a piece of Lego is that we want to remind them that everyone in fellowship, in Elam Fellowship, is really important. And that everyone should somehow be connected to the church, to each other. So regardless of the shape or the color or the size, there shouldn't be a single piece that is left out alone and is not connected to the rest of the body. Because that is what a genuine and loving Christ-centered community is like. So as you walk into the service today, you should have received a piece of Lego of your own. Okay? Uh, if you didn't get one, you can uh, go find one of the ushers afterwards. Now I want you to take the piece in your hand, if, you, if it's not in your hand already, <clears throat> and for you to study it. For you to look at it, okay? Really examine it. So each one of us have uh, probably a similar piece or different piece. And I want you to count the number of connectors on it, okay? So I have a bigger piece so I can see it better now. <laughs> so I want you to count the number of connectors on your Lego piece, Okay? Now, the reason why I asked you to count how many connectors you have on your Lego piece is because there was this illustration I read about in a book called Sticky Church by Larry Osborne. 
which also uses Lego pieces as an illustration as to how many people we can actually have and develop meaningful relationships with. So let me explain this a little bit more. So imagine that we're all actually a piece of Lego. Now, each one of us have these little connectors, and uh, these connectors actually represent the number of people with whom we have the time, the energy, or the emotional resources to connect with uh, outside of our immediate family. So in other words, each connector represents the number of close friends that we can actually invest in it and, and, and to care about and to have in our life. So each one of us have different number of connectors. Some of us might have a lot of connectors. Some of us might have less, and that's okay. That's just who we are. And as we think about this uh, illustration, it brings some insight into us as we think about what it means to build a church community. No, as we, uh, there are actually lots of different types of Lego pieces. There are some types of Legos which we would call um, the lonely Legos, the lonely Lego pieces. The lonely Legos are the ones who come to church and have many empty connectors. They don't really have that many close friends or meaningful relationships with in church. Uh, so they have many connectors that they can fill. But the problem is sometimes these lonely connectors often hide it deep inside of themselves. So they, they may pretend that they have lots of friends or that they are somehow connected to the church, but really there's this deep sense of loneliness inside of them. But not many people know about it. Maybe even no one knows about the sense of loneliness. And these are called the lonely Legos. And the challenge for these lonely Legos is to open up yourselves and to connect and find some meaningful connections to make. In our table Lego, we have the full Legos. So these are the people who have all the connectors filled. Now all the connectors are all filled. There's no more space for, there's no more time. This, this person has no more energy, really. The capacity for them to have meaningful friends, it's all taken up. So for them, when a new person comes along, it's hard for them to connect them, to build a meaningful relationship with them because they just don't have the time or the energy or the emotional resources to care and to spend time to invest in this friendship anymore. These are the full Legos. And our table Legos are the, the open Legos pieces. Now the open Legos are people who have some connectors filled, but they still have some empty connectors. They're ready and willing to take on more uh, friendships and more meaningful relationships. And last of all, there are also the new Lego pieces. The new Lego pieces are those who just start coming to our church, uh, to this community, and they're brand new. And they're excited, and they're hopeful that they'll be able to find meaningful connections with other people in this church. Now, the problem is, the problem arises when this person meets people and everyone else are full Legos. They just can't somehow plug in this person into their life. Or maybe some, another problem is maybe there are some people who are the lonely Legos. So on the surface, on superficially, it looks like they're all connected. And that also prevents the new Legos from developing meaningful relationships in this church. So as you think about all these Lego pieces, I think it really sheds insight into how we as a church can connect people with each other and ultimately forming the community and body of Christ. Which Lego piece do you resemble most? Can you relate to? 
As I end, I just want to share with you um, the theme first for the youth ministry. I'm not sure how many of you guys know about this. But the theme first for youth ministry is from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. It says, Because we love you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because we love you so much, we're delighted to share with you not just the word of God, but who we are, our time, our lives as well. At the beginning of each year at our youth leaders orientation, usually I I would try to share this theme first with all the youth leaders, hoping that we would catch on the vision of doing more than just teaching Bible lessons or program planning. That would do more, that we would be able to love the teenagers so much that we want to share our life with them and to have a part in it, to walk alongside of them, take them under our wings. And over the years of being here, I've seen glimpses of this becoming reality. I've seen glimpses of this when the youth invite the youth leaders to uh, art shows or to their musicals or to their dramas or to their team games or when we bring them out for bubble tea or for meals or when they share with us their deepest hurts, and we cry alongside of them. So as we think about our church community as a whole, not just within our age group or our gender or our congregation, what would it take for us to break down barriers in our church and to develop the kind of love that we, want to, that we would want to share our lives with each other? You know, how can we start loving those who speak Cantonese and those who speak Mandarin? in this church? How can we start loving those who are older than us or those who are younger than us? How, what can we do to start loving those who are different from us? To love our neighbors more, to love our co-workers, our classmates, our friends, our families. What can we do to build this community so that it becomes more and more like Christ? And in the last couple of verses to sermon text, Jesus is described as the cornerstone of a building. I mean, it says, once again, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, some people, when they read about Jesus being the cornerstone, they might have this picture in their mind of a capstone instead. Uh, A capstone is usually what goes on top, uh, for example, a pyramid. That's called a capstone. Or some people might mistakenly uh, envision in their minds a keystone. A keystone is, uh, for example, something that goes in an archway at a door or at a roof, and it's the last piece that gets fitted on top that holds the whole structure together. But in, the, in this verse specifically, it's referring to Jesus as a cornerstone. And a cornerstone is actually really important. I was, I was really quite um, surprised and amazed by the, the power of this imagery and the symbol as I was studying up on this. You see, the cornerstone in ancient buildings was actually one of the primary load-bearing stones. It bears the most weight. And more importantly, the cornerstone is what determines the lines of the rest of the building. So imagine um, they're building a building back then, and the foundation is all set, 
and it's ready to, uh, for the building, for the bricks, for them to lay all the stones on top. The very first stone that they will lay in the foundation is the cornerstone. And the angle that they would put the stone determines how the rest of the building is built. So if the cornerstone is angled a little bit too much out, then the rest of the building would be angled that way as well because it's built using the, the cornerstone as the reference, as the guide. So using this, I, love, I just love this image of Jesus being the cornerstone because it acts and gives us a reminder as Christians and believers that constantly we need to align our lives with Christ. It's our lives, the way we live our life and what we live for is to align with Jesus. And secondly, as we think about this image as a church, as a community, is the community aligned with Christ as well? And that uh, everyone is connected and connected to the cornerstone. So despite the barriers that we may, that we may have in our city or in our church or in our personal comforts, God wants us to build a loving community where Christ is the center. As we enter the time of response, I'd just like to invite um, the worship team to come back up as they set up. And I'd also like to invite uh, all the youth and all the youth leaders to come up as we all take part in this time of response. And we're going to be singing a, a song called Cornerstone today. And I think we're quite familiar with this song. And as we sing the song Cornerstone, I just want, us to, I just want to highlight a couple of the first verse. In verse 1, it says... My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Now, as we think about our hope, as we talk about hope, think about where you base your hope in. You know, do you put your hope in the things of this world, or do you put your hope in Christ? You know, as a church, do we, do we base our own ability on, 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 on rebuilding this church or, or on this community on our own strength? Or do we put our hope in Jesus? And let's look at the chorus now. The chorus says, Christ alone, cornerstone. The weak may strong. In the Savior's love through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. So as we work together to build this community in Christ, the reality is that there will be many challenges and struggles and pains and hurts along the way. And us as a church, we're quite aware of this. But we'll make through anything. Because with Jesus as our cornerstone, as our guide, we can walk through the storm. So as we sing this song, I'd like to invite you all to stand. For us to sing together and as a community has just a, a, a symbolic representation of us just breaking down any barriers within our lives, within this church, that we're able to worship God together, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter, our, uh, despite our flaws, our sins, our brokenness. So as we sing, may this song be a prayer for our church, for the people of BCBC. BC.